So as we continue on in this series, um, looking at the first 11 books of the Bible, if last week when we saw the fall of Adam and Eve, if, if last week sort of answered the question, what is wrong with the world, a question that everybody, believer, non-believer, asks and is probing, what's wrong with the world, if last week answered it with sin and where sin is and where sin comes from, uh, maybe it causes another question, well, okay, sin kind of started this downward spiral of the human race and unraveling of God's design, okay, but just how bad is sin really? The Bible's answer to that is turn the page, so to speak, to Genesis chapter 4, and what do you see? The first premeditated homicide in the second generation of the world, brother on brother, Cain killing his brother Abel. And sometimes people talk, uh, still today, and we get kind of caught up sometimes in the progress of the human species. We say that we're progressing, we're advancing, and I think in some aspects that could be true, right? Technologically speaking, uh, maybe uh, scientifically, medically speaking, yeah, there's a lot of advancements, but spiritually speaking, you cannot even come close to making a claim that we are progressing, that we're making steps forward. Genesis 3 and 4 shows us that we're, we're not progressing, we're regressing. We're making this giant step backwards, right? In Genesis 3, in the garden, it took Satan himself to tempt Adam and Eve to sin. But in Genesis chapter 4, not even God himself can dissuade Cain from murdering his own brother. And I don't want you to just think of Genesis chapter 4 and the story of Cain and Abel as simply a story about a brother murdering a brother. That's not what this story is about. It is, but it's way deeper than that. It goes on a whole other level than that, that, that murder is really like the symptom of what you see. What, what this story really shows, what God has to teach us, is really the nature of sin and how sin can work inside of our lives, the need to tame it, and the devastating effect that can happen if we don't tame it. And on top of that, in spite of that, God's relentless, unrelenting grace along the way for our sin. And this really is a story that plays out in our lives on a daily basis. Not, of course, murdering brothers and sisters, is not what I'm saying, but rather seeing how that sin and grace plays out. And we're going to see that by letting God teach us this morning, starting at verse 1. So here we go. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Now, sometimes with these stories, with these accounts that we have maybe heard from when we were little kids and all the way up, sometimes we can oversimplify them to the point that you could almost have this impression that Cain was the bad guy and Abel was the good guy. We can just kind of, you know, like, like little kids, like, yeah, Cain's the bad guy, Abel's the good guy, uh, Cain's like this rebellious person, and, and Abel's like the choir boy, you know. That, that can easily happen in our minds, but 
honestly, when, when we look at these words, that assessment, too simple, doesn't hold its weight. How do we know? Well, what are they both doing? They're both going to God and worshiping him, right? They're both going to God with a sacrifice in their hands. So what do you have? You have two sinful brothers from the same sinful parents going to the same God to worship them with a sacrifice, but one massive difference. Abel's offering is looked with favor. Cain's offering is not. And that brings up the question, well, why? Because at first look, it seems like, okay, God's showing a little favoritism here. This seems a little unfair. But as you probe a little bit deeper, you start to see there's a difference. And you start to see that the difference shows itself in the offering itself. What did Cain bring to God? Some of the produce of the land. He was kind of like a farmer, maybe like his dad. I want to be a farmer like my dad, so there we go. But what did, what did Abel bring? We're not just told some offering of his, uh, you know, sheep. He's brought the fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. Long story short, the best. The absolute best that he had. Now, the difference isn't so much in the content of the offering itself, but the motivation, the, the heart underneath that offering. And the New Testament is really good at helping us connect some dots and clear up confusion. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 11, here's what he says. By faith, Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as righteous when God spoke well of his offerings. It's not that God liked lamb better than he liked vegetables. That's not it. It's the heart. It's the motivation behind those offerings. One was offered with a heart of gratitude and trust and joy and praise. And one was offered with a heart of obligation. I guess I have to. I guess I need to bring God an offering. So here you go. It's what I'm supposed to. Or if you wanted to make it even simpler, the way the writer to the Hebrew does, what was the difference? By faith. which might cause someone to raise an eyebrow. Because typically, when I hear most people use the word faith, they talk about faith in terms of believing in the existence of God. Like, you believe that God exists, but that's not the biblical definition of faith. You believe there's a God. Good. So do the demons. Not working out well for them. Satan believes in the existence of God. The, the Pharisees, religious elites in the New Testament, believed in God. They had the temple. They were worshiping. They were offering sacrifices. And Jesus comes to them and says, You're, you guys are far from God. You guys are outside of the kingdom of God. You honor me with your lips. Your hearts are far from me. Repent, turn. So, so biblical faith is not just knowledge, assent, believing that, that God exists. It's, it's so much more than that. What biblical faith is, is trust in the complete need and certainty that God is saving me, that God is going to rescue me. And you see that in Abel's offering, don't you? 
why would Abel be so generous to take the absolute utmost best that he had and give it over to God? It's because he knew. No doubt, if he's worshiping God, then no doubt he knew the promise of Genesis 3.15 and how his parents sinned and how they got kicked out of the presence of God and yet how God had said, I'm going to send a serpent-crushing, sin-undoing Savior who is going to make you right, and Abel clung to that promise and knew that that was the way back into Eden, so to speak, back into the presence of God. And for all the details that he didn't yet know and wouldn't yet know, nonetheless, he clung to that promise in faith and said, God, I don't deserve it, and you're giving it to me, and it's a total cost from you, not me. God, here you go. I worship you, and everything I have is yours, and I'm going to prove it. Take the best. This is for you, because God, you're worth it, and you are worthy of it all. I praise you. And God saw that faith, and God looked with favor on that offering. But not Cain, because that faith wasn't there. And what God is already making very clear right here is that he doesn't just care about the outward behavior. He wants your inner heart. He says, I like a heart that loves me better than hands filled with a sacrifice attached to a heart that is distant from me. And by the way, there is a whole host of application points in there for us that we are just not going to get to, unfortunately. One of those ones, again, sermon for another time. But suffice it to say, that's the difference. And that was the difference between Cain and Abel. That difference made Cain upset, angry. And that is all the devil needed to get a foothold and plant a little seed of envy, a little seed of jealousy in the heart of Cain. And you remember that question we asked earlier? Well, okay, sin, it undoes stuff, but just how bad is a little sin? God knows. And here's what God does. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, now you might expect God, as he comes to Cain, who is just angry, angry at the world, maybe a little angry at God, maybe a lot ticked off at his brother for no reason at all. You might expect him to come with maybe some, like, sounds of thunder, maybe some lightning flashes, get the scare show going, maybe some fire brimstone smoldering up here. Because maybe if you were God, you would go to Cain and you'd just be like, do I need to smack you around, boy? Like, what's going on here? You have no one to be mad at but yourself, and yet you're so angry, and yet that is not how God goes to Cain. How does he go? In all patience, in all gentleness, and in all grace, he goes to him. He says, Cain, Let's talk this out. He's counseling with him. What's going on? It, don't, don't you know if you confess your heart, will I not lift you up in my grace and forgiveness? Of course I will. But he also warns Cain, there is a sin that's crouching it's just outside your door. And it's ready to pounce. 
And if you don't rule over it, if you don't tame it, it will destroy you. And instead of Cain heeding the advice and words of God, he hardens his heart. He doesn't want to hear it. He gets even more mad, maybe even more mad at God, takes his brother out into a field and kills it, cold blood. And then God goes to Cain again. And, and now here, okay, now some thunderbolts, now some fire from heaven. All right, now the fire, now the brimstone. Now God's just going to take him out, right? Now God's going to smite him. No. No, again, again. God counsels Cain. Where's your brother? Now, does God know where his brother? Of course God knows. Whenever God is asking a question, you know he's not asking it for his benefit. He's always asking it for the benefit of the other person. Where's your brother? What is it you've done? And even when Cain, the little twerp acting like he is right now, just defiantly says back, what, what do I know? Am, am I my brother's keeper? And God throws down a punishment on him. What does Cain do? He whines. He complains. Oh, this, is, this punishment is too much. There's no way I can bear it. In other words, pleading for mercy, and God grants that mercy. How? He doesn't smite him right there. No, I'm going to put a mark on you. And whatever that mark was, there's a lot of ink that's been spilled over it. We, we don't know what the mark was, but suffice it to say, that mark allowed Cain to live out his days in the hopes that God would see him turn back to him, that he would repent, that instead of ending his life then, maybe, just maybe, Cain will come back. And I'm, I'm sorry, do you see the incredible grace of God in this story? If God has that much patience, that much grace for an impenitent, proud, brother-murdering person like Cain, I guarantee you it doesn't matter who you are. I guarantee you it doesn't matter what you have done. But the God who is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness will abound in that same relentless mercy, that same relentless grace to you. If he went that far out of his way to extend grace to Cain, who definitely didn't deserve it, he's going to go out of his way to extend that same grace to you, that same grace to them, that same grace to those other people, right? He, that is the God who he is, that unrelenting grace. But as the story ends, you have this solid impression that Cain just rejects all of it. And he walks away from God, and he walks away from his presence in defiance and pride and stubbornness, and what God is clearly teaching us, way more than just murder, but showing us the danger of what a little sin, if left unchecked, can do and how it can just completely master you and own you and control you. And you see that in the metaphor that God uses to describe that sin to Cain. I'm going to put those words up on the screen. He said, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. Now, that's a very interesting word. It's a metaphor. You get this metaphor of this, uh, this picture of a predatory animal, a tiger, a lion, or if some of you have a cat at home, and uh, maybe you have a laser pointer, and you're pointing it at the wall or something, and what does that cat do? It just kind of gets low, like kind of creeps up and stalks on all fours. Why does it instinctively do that? Because that, that, that animal knows if I can get low, 
maybe I can sneak up without even being heard or seen. And if I can be seen, I'm a whole lot deadlier. If I can't be seen, I'm a whole lot deadlier. But even if I am seen, well, I'm, I'm less of a threat. That's what it looks like. I'm, oh, it's just a small thing. You, you look smaller than what you are. It's deception, right? It's trickery. And that's exactly how sin operates in your lives. That it's just crouching at your door, and maybe it's there, and you don't even see it. You don't even realize that it's there. Or maybe if you do see it, well, it's not that harmful, right? It looks kind of harmless. It looks kind of cute. It's not that big of a deal. It's no big deal. Or maybe if you see it, you're so deceived by it that you don't even see it for what it is, sin. But rather, you see it as just kind of this, like, thing that you can defend and excuse and justify and rationalize away into fine, acceptable behavior. As a pastor, when I'm meeting with people, counseling with people, talking about spiritual lives, oftentimes we'll see, like, behavior on the surface, but a doctor knows that just because there's symptoms, you, you don't just treat the symptoms, you need to treat the root cause. And I can see maybe there's an idol. Maybe there's a sin underneath the sin. And we try to, to bring it out. We try to get the other person to, to see what's there. And you want to know what happens the majority of times when I try to help someone, counsel someone, and, and point that out? There is every excuse, every justification, every rationale, and every defense in the book, and then some, of why it is not a sin, of why it is acceptable, of why I don't know what I'm talking about. There's another pastor who talked on this point, uh, and I, I took the list that he used. Uh, this kind of summed up a, a lot of what he saw in his ministry, similar here. Here's what he's talking about. It's not cheating. I'm just borrowing the answers from a classmate. It's just a website. It's not an affair. Yes, I know sex outside of marriage isn't God's design, but we're really committed to one another. We love one another. Yeah, I know I'm not part of a church, but I don't see how that's necessary for me to have a relationship with God. I'm a very spiritual person. I'm not a workaholic. I just have a strong work ethic. I'm not vain. I'm just health conscious. I'm not stingy. I'm just wise with my money. I'm not gossiping. I just want people to be informed. I'm not holding a grudge. I'm just morally outraged. I'm not materialistic. I'm just highly ambitious. I'm not arrogant. I'm just assertive. Do you see how sin is sitting there, crouching at the door, and you don't even see it. And it just looks like this cute, fuzzy little animal. Aw, it's kind of harmless. And you let it in, and maybe you let it have a presence in your life, and before you know it, it pounces, it owns you, it grabs you, and it starts doing you. It's mastered you. And my question is, can you see it? Can you see it in your life? Or if someone else were to come to you in love and truth and try to point it out to you, or even if, like Cain, God himself came to you with the truth and pointed out, with all love and gentleness, there is a sin, there is an idol that is crouching at your door that you would not want to hear it. I say that not to be dramatic. I say that because that's been my experience. In fact, that's exactly what happened the last time I preached on these words. Years ago, another church, similar points in a message on Cain and Abel, 
preached the sermon, said amen, was able to go home and spend the day relaxing with my kids a couple hours later, I get a text from a member. My husband is throwing our marriage away and is divorcing me. And the only reason why, he says, I don't love you anymore. And you know what struck me? Is I remember exactly where they were a few hours earlier. Right about this area, front left pews in the church. They weren't asleep. They were both awake, making eye contact, sitting right next to one another, attentive. And, and even after the service was done, I remember him saying, good message, Pastor. Thanks for the, thanks for the sermon. But I don't know what he got out of it. Because within the next 20 to 30 minutes, as I drove over to their house and talked to him about his sin, he had every excuse, every justification, every rationale of what he was doing was not a sin. It was fine. And he was actually miffed and offended that I, I as his pastor, would dare call him out for a sin? Because proud people don't want to listen. Because proud people like Cain don't want to see what's there. Can you see it? Can you see what is maybe crouching at your door, lurking in the bushes? Can you name it? Can you see what maybe you have already let into your life and has started to develop a presence? Or maybe even a bigger question, can you see what has already mastered you? Or is your pride blinding you and you refuse to see it? Like I said, it's not a story simply about murder. It is about the nature of sin and just how it so quickly and easily undoes God's design. Because you see, you can be a church-going, Bible-knowing, every Sunday worshiping person just like Cain was and totally not see it and not want to see it and let it lead you from the presence of God. Kind of like an addiction. I haven't met a single person who grows up saying, yeah, I'd love to be an, a, a crack addict, a heroin addict. I'd love to be addicted to alcohol. What happens? It's outside the doorstep. It doesn't look that big of a deal. You let it into your life. You do it a few times, and before you know it, it's got its teeth in you. I think if we see anything, maybe we see more than we ever thought heading into this story. We're more like Cain than we are like Abel. And what I want you to hear loud and clear is that means there is a lot of hope. Because just like God relentlessly pursued 
Cain with grace upon mercy and grace upon mercy. He does the same for you. And he does that through another brother. You might say your ultimate keeper. That God sent you a brother who had the love of God in his heart. And you know how his brothers treated him? They took him out, and in disgust and their anger, they murdered and spilled the blood of an innocent man, Jesus. But that blood, it cries out for you. Again, we go to the, the writer of the Hebrews. This is what he says. Makes this other connection. He says, You have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, what does that last part mean? Speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Well, Abel, his blood cries out to the ground, justice. Jesus' blood cries out to the cross, Father, forgive. Because I have reconciled them to me. Because as much as sin desires to master them, I desire to master them even more. And I choose to give down my life for the Cains and for the Abels of this world, for the people that sin has mastered, for the warriors, for the grudge holders, for the judgmental, for, for the addicts for the murderers, for, for all the people, those selfish sinners where sin has totally mastered them, I lay down my life for them because I am their keeper. Because I said that I would keep my brothers, I would keep my sisters close to you, I will do whatever it takes to guard them, to protect them, and if that means laying down my life, so be it. And he did. And his blood cries out for you. I paid it, Father. That sin, it's, it's no more. Your justice was taken out on me so you could be forgiven and restored. And one last thing that this lesson teaches us is besides that kind of a brother that you and I absolutely need, you need other brothers and sisters. You need other keepers in your life. Because you can't always see what's in front of you. A Cain, God himself came to him, tried to counsel him, tried to show him what's there. You need that too. Because we all have pride. We all have blind spots. And, and we need someone else to speak the truth of God into our lives. Someone who maybe is a, is a spouse, a Christian who is a little more spiritually mature than you, a pastor, a growth group, whatever it is, someone who can add perception into your life and perspective and, and show you maybe what's there that you're blinded to, who's not going to judge you, but instead, in all grace and gentleness and truth, is going to show you the sin that's there, but regularly points you where? Back to your brother Christ back to his sacrifice, back to everything that he did to keep you and have you and hold you. Because it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus' blood cries out from the cross for you, 
forgive them. I have paid the payment for them. The punishment is gone. I bore it. And that is the kind of love and grace that will transform your hearts. And when you get that love, when you get that grace, that is what will take you from living like Cain's to loving like Abel's. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, your blood cries out from the cross and declares us not guilty and secures our spot in heaven and in your presence with you. Please let that love melt our hearts and tear down our pride to be open and honest with you about our sins and to take us from living like Cain's to loving like Abel's. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.